Hi everyone and welcome back to Eliminal Space, a podcast that seeks to explore and reimagine the world in which we live. Today I'm super excited to share this discussion with Cyrus Sharad. Cyrus is a British Iranian musician, releasing music under the name Hiatus. His music combines soft piano melodies with electronic music and haunting soundscapes, heavily influenced by his Iranian roots and film soundtracks, taking listeners on deep and hypnotic journeys. The music you are hearing now is a song called Distancer, the title track of Cirrus's upcoming album. Cirrus is also a journalist, novelist and film critic, using his writing to explore and attempt to make sense of the world around him. Some of the things we discuss include finding your voice as an artist and staying authentic, the curse of perfectionism, embracing mistakes and uncertainty, the benefits and power of collaboration, creating space for ideas and creativity to flourish, meditation and being gentle on yourself, dealing with ego and fame, technology and social media, and the role of art and artists in 2020 and beyond. Cirrus creates art that is meaningful, beautiful and authentic. And it was a huge thrill to have this discussion with Cirrus and really discover the human being behind the music and also his own personal journey as an artist and human. To hear more of these episodes, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, leave a review, and feel free to rate it. And if you think it's worth five stars, that would be amazing. But for now, make yourself comfortable as we enter a liminal space with Cirrus Sharad. Hi, Cirrus. Hello, mate. Thanks for taking the time to come on a liminal space. It's a real pleasure. And um, as I think I said to you just now, this is the first time I've done one of these video interviews. So if I look a bit kind of startled at any point it's just trying to you know get get used to it but it's uh, a real pleasure to be here mate Thanks oh perfect much. um so i really look forward to you know obviously music is um uh how you spend most of your your creative time these days but i really like to have a chat about you know your music your art your philosophies your ideas but let, let's start in music um what is it about music what's the power of music that I guess, um, you know, you chose that, you've done many things in your life. What, what is it about music that's so powerful for you? That's a really good question. That's the last question in um, Almost Famous, isn't it? Have you seen Almost Famous? Cameron Crowe film. Long time ago. Um, about a music journalist, and at the end, he finally gets around to doing the interview with the band that he's been following around, and he says, what is it that you love about music? And the guy says, to begin with, everything. I think that's the final line in the film something like that um it's a it, it, i mean it's a really difficult question it, it is kind of everything i mean music is sort of i mean there's all these i mean i read about it sometimes and there are people that try and sort of differentiate what you know music from other kinds of art i, I mean i feel like i feel like music for me is more immediate certainly than i guess writing's the other thing that i've spent a lot of time doing and writing always um, feels more like work, you know, music when it happens, uh, like naturally can feel really instantaneous, really spontaneous. You, I mean, you know, this like that feeling of kind of channeling something else, you know, like something else is kind of using you as a sort of vessel or whatever. It's really kind of um, cheesy, but it, 
it, it still happens. It doesn't happen all that often, but when it happens, it's just magic. And I think music is kind of, I guess there's a universality about it that, uh, you know, it, it, it's so, it's, it's sort of outside of us. It isn't dependent on language. So we're not like, you know, we're not divided between people who speak music and people who don't. Um, and it's a kind of like, it's it's something yeah i i, I mean i always feel like it the, I, I, the, the idea of a soundtrack to life has always appealed to me you know the idea that there's a kind of like that there can be a, a, a some sort of musical accompaniment to the events of our lives which is maybe something that we get from cinema growing up you know we watch so much tv and so many films where there is this musical accompaniment to everything is it sort of the, the, the lack of intellect in a way? It's sort of more a feeling and an emotion rather than with words, obviously, is more intellectual yeah. in a sense? Yeah, I think, I think um, I, I mean, I haven't really thought about it in these terms, but yeah, like, I think that is true. I think, I mean, I've, in the past, I've worked with one musician, certainly, um, who kind of, I mean, accused me as, as, as a, you know, she wasn't really accusing me, but she, the, she said, you know, you, you intellectualize music too much. You know, you, you do too, it's too much in, in your head. You know, you don't kind of just do, do enough stuff. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's true. I think that it is possible for it to be kind of really pure and really, um, you know, really kind of like, you know, unintellectual. Um, and maybe that is kind of when it's at its best. At the same time, I do like music that's really kind of thought-provoking and that really kind of challenges you. I mean, I've been listening to, um, last night I've been doing some um, decorating in my flat. I was listening to Johan Johansson's um, soundtrack for this uh, film that he made before he very sadly passed away, um, First and Last Men. And it's like this modern classical thing, but it is really, you know, it's, it's unbelievably beautiful, but it's really incredibly, I don't know how to put it other than to say it's really smart. It's really, you know, there's so much going on. There's so many kind of, it's, it's so unexpected and unpredictable. Um, I, I do like that too. I like being kind of challenged by music. So, mm. so there's a, there's a mix, but I think the fact that it is detached from language is so important um you know and, and i guess rhythm and melody are two very different things but obviously we're connected to such an ancient um tradition in terms of our reliance on those things for kind of connection to something bigger than us you know i guess that that's the idea of people dancing to beats long before we had the power to communicate with words is really appealing yeah um so yeah there's that too definitely and I mean, I don't think it's at all cheesy or anything. I mean, everything you say, I, I resonate with deeply. Um, also, this idea of, you know, like uh, us being a conduit or some, some sort of um, bridge between something or somewhere else. And, and, and do you have any idea what's on the other side of that bridge? What, where, where are you channeling? Um, well, that... No, I don't know. That that um that I think is I guess that kind of comes down to whether you believe that, you know, the experience of sort of life is out there or in here. You know, it's I think it's kind of both. Um I I, I think that maybe sometimes when music is at its most kind of powerful uh, as a kind of creator, well, as you know, it's a, again it's a bit of a grand word, but when you are kind of making music in that way. I think a lot of what you're doing is not so much kind of, um, I don't know, maybe it's less that you're channeling something and, and more that you're bypassing something. You know, you're not like 
burdened by all of the sort of debris of day-to-day life you don't have that sort of um you know you're not so overwhelmed by the, the by the self i guess the idea of who you are the sort of all of the all of the kind of stuff that you carry around with you and you just kind of let go of all that and then i mean that's i guess that's kind of fundamentally what meditation is you know it's it's kind of finding that 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 yeah but in terms of what's what what is kind of channel channeling or being channeled that's a that's a question i don't think i have the answer to yeah, if you did, um, if I did, you would be yeah. the one. Yeah, I'd be the one. Yeah, I'll, I'll come back to you if I, come, <laughs> if I ever do, do come across that information. So when I listen to your music, um, which let me try to intellectualize it or to, to explain it in a sense, you know, it's very cinematic for me. It's very deep. It takes me on a on a journey. It, it, it's a soundscape in some sense, and it does make me want to close my eyes and to be taken to be taken somewhere um Mm. which for me it's very similar to i mean it is a meditation it is a meditation um can you share are there any personal experiences both as a creator and as a listener that demonstrate just how profound music can be um yeah i think i think that I mean, growing up, music was something that I ca- I kind of like, I, I had a, a sort of relationship with it where I, I love to make it. I love to kind of, I mean, I, I love to sort of um, to play music and, and, I, and I played the piano growing up, although I, I, my, I, I had lessons on the piano. I wasn't really like a natural uh, pianist. I, I actually could, I, I really struggled with reading music and, you know, to the despair of my sort of piano teacher, never really made any, any kind of ground in that way. Never got any grades, never, never ascended that sort of like thing. But, um, but the experience of just playing stuff spontaneously for me was kind of magical. And I think I was kind of seeking like those experiences very young where music kind of transformed the world into something more than it was i mean i think we get like really jaded by the world really young you know even even as kind of a kid i was looking for something to make it more special and music was i think that thing i remember like um i remember like whenever there was a power cut which happened a lot lot when we were kids maybe that was just a thing growing up in the 80s like the the power would go out quite a lot in our in our house and I would always go straight to the piano, playing the piano in the dark, like without, you know, I mean, obviously I could have at any point just turn the lights off in, in a room that I was in, but it never occurred to me to do that. But when the power went out and I would go and sit at the piano and just play play music without being able to see the keys, I remember that being like sort of transforming the world into something sort of other, you know. And um, I also remember, uh, I, I remember... <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember kind of relying on music to do sort of magical things. There's a really like, yeah, no, there's a really embarrassing story about this. I'm not even going to go into it. But yeah, I, I, I did, I did, I did expect, I, I did hope for music to kind of like transform things in, in some sort of way. But I also remember like just finding music so moving. I remember like, so like I remember um, listening to Iranian music as a kid in my um when my dad would was driving we didn't he didn't play Iranian music all the time because we grew up in the UK for the most part and he wouldn't play Iranian music a great deal but when he was driving 
And he would often drive us quite early in the morning if we were going on like long trips to, we used to go and stay with my mum's parents who lived in Dorset, it's like three hour plus drive. We would always leave like before dawn and he would always just pile us in the car and everyone would go to sleep or at least that was, he thought everyone was asleep and he would put on these old Iranian tapes of like Iranian music. And I just remember sitting in the back of the car listening to them. I remember them kind of being so sort of familiar and so sort of foreign at the same time, seeming so strange, but like, that I think kind of stayed with me in a, in a way like definitely when I finally came back to kind of listening to Iranian music much later on that I think had been sort of carried carried through in some way so yeah I've, I've spent time in Iran in 2004 I was almost two months oh. in in Iran um, oh okay and oh fantastic more than fantastic you know, yeah. uh, the country, the people, the music, the culture, the the stories, oh, the poetry. The poetry mm. is something that I don't even know how to um, how to sort of express. Um, or in my limited time there, I mean, the best way possibly I could um, try is to tell my own small story. So mm. sometimes I was traveling on buses, and you know, going back to your idea that music um, cuts across languages and cultures and barriers mm. so I couldn't speak I mean I don't speak Farsi and these people that yeah. I was with didn't speak didn't speak English and you were traveling around the country or I was traveling around, no yeah. I was traveling around the country yeah 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 and I was alone from for, for most of it and I had a you know like a, a scrapbook a, a diary just to, to scribble mm. on and so often um, whoever I was sitting next to would ask me to take my book and I mean, I'm from Australia. If, if you're on a bus in Australia and some teenager takes your book, you're probably going to get something rude or something like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More often than not, I would get my book back and there would be beautiful poetry or yeah. a beautiful drawing or something mm. really, really profound. And, you know, again, that may be sort of a silly story, but it's something that, that really sticks no, to me. No, not at all. Not at all. It's really funny, actually. There's a there's something uh, similar-ish. I I, to I know exactly what you mean, and I know exactly how that happens and why that happens. And and um, I remember I was in Iran with my dad like a couple of years ago, and we were again. It was like a those we were somewhere in the center of Tehran. We were trying to get a bus to the to the west, and it was just it was it, it was a nightmarish journey. We'd got one bus to this really busy roundabout and we were standing at this roundabout just hordes of people everyone kind of crushed together and i was really like resentful that oh, we, we'd done this instead of just getting a taxi you know it's just like why does my dad always make us get these buses we could just so easily just get in a cab and be there in like you know 20 minutes um and my dad was completely like unsure where he was where to go what bus to get and he just went up to this guy who was like a guard at the, at the bus stop and said like where do we get the where do we get the bus to Shaharakikab or wherever we were going and this guy like who was just looking kind of really like abstractly at his hand and he just kind of looked up at my dad and went what is this? And he was holding this like flower. I think it was like a jasmine flower or something, but he was just like, what is this? Like this, what is this beautiful smell? What is this beautiful flower? And my dad was like, jasmine flower. He's like, oh, jasmine flower. It's just like, this guy is obviously at work at probably the busiest time of the day, you know. In the middle yeah, of the chaos. He's having this kind of like, yeah. in the middle of this utterly chaotic 
kind of central Tehran roundabout, and he's just having this really profound moment of like communion with the universe. I think poetry, I mean, it is all, I mean, it all, I think, stems from like, there is an Iranian affinity with poetry, which is very unlike, certainly, you know, my experience of poetry growing up at school, you know, we were taught poetry, we were taught to try and write poetry, you know, um, and I've worked as a teacher and, and I know that that still kind of happens, but the connection with poetry is almost like, no, obviously, young people in the UK still have that connection. They still, that you know, kids who who have something they want to express will sometimes find that poetry is a better vehicle for that than anything else they've come across so far. And they'll get into writing poetry and they'll have really, really profound experiences with it. But it's in Iran, it's just like, it's like in the blood. It's, it's just, you know, certainly my dad's generation. And I think still now, you know, People are people are raised in Iran with those poems kind of as a like blueprint for living. You know, it's like a, a template for life, like mm. the, the work of the ancient poets and, and you know, modern poets. Just the the tradition of writing this 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 way and 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 yeah, I mean it is it is kind of powerful and it is beautiful. I'm really glad you've been there. It's great that you had that experience. I had uh, just the most amazing experience and um, mm. anytime I meet Iranians on my travels um, always happy to share you know some yeah, of yeah that's wonderful some of the most deep experiences of my life were, were in Iran and I learned so mm. much and not only did I learn so much I, I had everything that I was you know that that I'd been told was 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 turned on its head very very quickly hospitality was just incredible and yeah really touching what about your own personal um journey or experience as a my understanding is your father's iranian your mother's british that's right born in iran perhaps raised in the or i spent the first i was yeah i spent the first year and a half or so of my life in iran and um and uh following the revolution we moved with my mum and dad back here um didn't go back there. I went back there kind of in the, in the early 80s when there was, you know, war with Iraq going on. It was very sort of unstable and, you know, um, I mean, it's never been it's never been necessarily easy going back. But it was I think it was it was difficult when I was very young. So my parents didn't really travel back in the we went back in the 80s once and the 90s once. And it was just, it was tough. And it wasn't really until my 20s that I started going back regularly. Um, at that point, I hadn't really kind of had con- a connection with Iran for, you know, like 15, 10 or 15 years. And and um, I didn't really speak Farsi. I, I basically kind of like made myself um, sort of reintegrate with that that part of my life you know I felt like there was an absence you know I felt like there was like a something missing and um and I and I uh, I went back there in fact in 2004 so the same year you were there I went back for the first time in yeah like I say sort of over a decade and just felt immediately like a connection a kind of coming home um it was it was kind of overwhelming and and I subsequently went back kind of every year. So until obviously very recently with the with the pandemic, I've been going back every year since then for like at least a couple of weeks, um, 
stayed there for a few months in 2005 and kind of worked there for a bit. I've gone back for sort of longer periods of time, uh, travelled around a fair amount, um, but generally just the experience of going and staying with my dad's family in Tehran was was enough to uh, to kind of like reinvigorate that that side myself. And it's still to this day, you know, it's still a um, you know, I, I still find I still find just even the practice of just like practicing Farsi, you know, of an evening, just like reading, you know, basic books in Farsi, like watching TV in Farsi. It's like it's a, it, I just find it a joy, you know. Mm. I just find it it, it it kind of enriches some side of me, which uh, I think I, I feel blessed. Obviously, I think anyone with like two homes is like twice as lucky as someone who has one, you know. I mean, you can see just like the, the degree of just hatred that is born of nationalism. Yeah. You know, anyone who's just like obsessed with their their kind of like what they see as their 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 homeland and their their flag. And I just think having that duality makes you realise how nonsensical that is. I mean, obviously I have, you know, profound love for both the UK and, and Iran. I can also see that both are like incredibly flawed places. And maybe as a result, I'm less likely to kind of, you know, pick a side. Hmm. Um, yeah. And what about musically? You've been generous enough to, to give me a, a, a preview listen to your new album, mm. Um, mm. Distancer, which is not far away from being, being released. And No, not far. That sounds like it's uh, more... Or it's more heavily influenced by Iranian music. You have a, an, an amazing singer who I think sings on three or four of the tracks. That's right. Um, yeah. Is that something you're consciously doing to to reconnect yeah. with uh, your Iranian I mean, heritage? Well, you know what happened really was that when I was when kind of in that like middle middle of the noughties, you know, it was like two thousand four, two thousand five. I was already doing music. I was working as a journalist, and and that was why I was over in Iran originally. Um, but I was doing music, I was making music, and I had started doing stuff as hiatus, or like under that name, just kind of making kind of EPs. Hadn't really sort of settled, hadn't found a sound, I guess. When I was in Iran, that was when I kind of started listening to Iranian music, started kind of digging through my dad's old records and kind of finding this, I don't know, just like, I think it was that connection, it was that those car journeys, it was like that was that thing that was there all along. You know, my music had always tended towards a sort of melancholy, um, which is unfortunate because you know I, I, I'm increasingly convinced that you know that 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 kind of emotional content is isn't always that helpful. But there was always that kind of like underlying sort of lament and nostalgia to the stuff that I was making, and it was only when I started listening to Iranian music again that I was like, oh, maybe this is like, maybe this is where that comes from. Because this was at a time when a lot of electronic music was much less, had much, I don't know. I think the tendency was like away from emotion. Like it was like people were kind of getting away from that, I think. And I was just like trying to, I don't know, that's a, that's a terrible generalization. I don't, I don't, that's not necessarily true. But I found in Iranian music um, a, a sort of some kind of like confirmation of something that I'd that I'd been looking for and then I started sampling it so like the first records that I did had you know samples of Iranian instruments and sometimes vocals um in terms of this record actually I wasn't expecting to for it to have this this Iranian um 
sort of centre to it. I mean, as you say, it's probably the most Aronian record that I've made. I wasn't expecting that to happen with this one. I, but I was I was working on a track um, and I wanted to record a camonche, which is a, an Iranian string instrument. And a friend put me in touch with uh, Faroz, who is um, a, a very talented camonche player, who and who is now a very good friend of mine. And he, rec- we went and recorded him on this one track, and it was just such an incredible experience that I just knew that I wanted him to be on more. I wanted, you know, I wanted him to be on as many of the tracks on this record as I could. And then when I was I suddenly thought how great it would be to have a, a vocalist. Do you know any Iranian singers? And he said, well, my wife's an Iranian singer, you know, my wife, Malaha. So he was very kind of, you know, he wasn't like, you must listen to my mate. He was just like, well, you know, he, she might not be kind of the sort of singer you were looking for. I was like, well, let's, let's get together and see what happens. And of course she was absolutely perfect and subsequently sang on three of the songs on the record. So, so it did end up being, a very strongly Iranian kind of centered record, but in a, in a way that was, I think also much more genuine, you know, it's, it, it was an experience recording as well, because in the past it's been very much like, you know, getting little snippets of Iranian music and feeling like a sort of an outsider peering in, but to be in the room with these guys, you know, making this music and just feeling, it felt like a, um, it felt like a sort of completion. And I, and I, you know, I don't want to say like the kind of culmination of a, of a process, but certainly like, you know, it, it, it felt very rooted in that, that mm. whole journey of, you know, sitting in the car, listening to the music as a kid, going to Iran and kind of rediscovering it and incorporating it into my own stuff. And then finally, you know, working with these incredibly gifted Iranian musicians. It was such a blessing. And, you know, I'm really excited for people to hear it. And when's that going to be released? I hope now it looks like February, but there's going to be some stuff from it coming out before then. So I'm, I'm going to kind of drip feed stuff from it. Like, you know, like songs will be appearing very soon. I think the first one will be in the next couple of weeks. And then, you know, give pe- just kind of like give people stuff to listen to over the coming months. And then yeah. just, put, I mean, I imagine by the time it's up in February, people would have heard most of it anyway. So, And it sounds like, I mean, that's a really interesting... Um... It's something I think about a lot, this idea of being open creatively in mm. the sense of, you know, you said it wasn't your intention to have this, you know, more Iranian influence. But, and if you were closed, perhaps you, you, you know, you could have turned your back to that and, 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 and it wouldn't have, um, it sounds like you're really happy with the, the finished product. Yeah. It's an amazing album. How do you, or with Hiatus, how do you work with that? Do you have a, a direction? Do you have a focus? Do you act, are you trying to do something with your music or are you actually doing the opposite? Are you sort of allowing magic to happen? Um, I would say it's, it's, I, I, it's, it, that's a tough one because um, I, I suppose in a way I kind of, I feel like now I just want to make music that people like. I want to make music for people. It's not like, I mean, I do still have moments where I just kind of, I sit at home and I, and I play, you know, the equivalent of like a power cut where I'll just sit at the piano. You know, I still have those moments of like kind of musical communion, but I feel like I I need to, it's not like I need to make music to please people, but I want to make music that I guess helps people that makes people's other people's lives a, a bit, I don't know, like, 
saying making other people's lives better is, is I'm not saying like I have the power to kind of improve lives of other people but if I can do something that's just helping in some way that would be so if people seem to like it then I'll then I'll just do stuff that I guess people want to hear um uh, there was a time a while ago where I was kind of like I just felt a little bit over the whole electronic thing and I was like oh, I'd really like to start making stuff that's a, just a bit more like because I used to play in bands and I used to kind of really thrive on the the sort of improvisational nature of like performance with other people you know I love playing live I love the idea that you play differently every night every song would be different every time and there's something quite rigid about certainly like the, the way that I produce music and I and I kind of wanted to shape that and I started experimenting with stuff that was a bit less rigid that was a bit more kind of organic and after a while I was just like oh you know there's a place for this but also I kind of want to do stuff that that is going to make people happy you know that, that I think people want to hear um at the same time doing the stuff with like you know Iranian vocalists I, I don't know I mean I, I get a lot of pleasure out of it but it's, you, it's tough. I mean, you know that making music, I mean, making music, I'm not in, implying that it's difficult compared to like being a nurse or something like that. But mentally, it's a it's often not a hugely enjoyable process. Like certainly the, the those kinds of feverish, like, you know, nights creating are amazing. But then the weeks or months of, you know, editing and mixing and mastering, for me, a basically nightmarish you know <laughs> i saw an interview with i didn't um hillary mantle who wrote the um the uh, i haven't read them actually in fact i'm not sure i've read historical fiction isn't really a, a thing that i'm into but this author i saw an interview with the the kind of the headline was that something like um writing isn't fun but then fun has never been a kind of priority of mine and I sort of thought that's uh, an interesting, um, that I, you know, I can kind of, I can get on board with that. I feel like, you know, much as I like enjoying myself, I feel like making music isn't that much fun um, as a livelihood. You know, it's a great, it's a, there's a great kind of pleasure in sort of seeing it out there and knowing that people are enjoying it. But, 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 the, but the process of making music I find quite, quite torturous. I don't think uh, you're alone there, and I don't think it's no. just—I don't think it's just with music. I mean, I—I—I I, I, I produce music, I, I make films, and there hasn't been a song, or there hasn't been a film, or there hasn't been a project, in which halfway through I've wished I never began, <laughs> because yeah. I, I became lost in it, or you know, there is a pressure also, whether that's a pressure yeah. of an audience or or an internal, you know, pressure on ourselves. Um, Oh, I think so. I think that I think that there's so many reasons why. I think I, you know, I, I've, I'm definitely a um, perfectionist in when it comes to music, and that's that's unfortunate because I'm also incompetent when it comes to kind of mixing and mastering. So I have this like desire for things to be really, really like I have this vision of how I want them to be. Funnily enough, as a, as an aside, I've been kind of decorating. Uh, I think I might have mentioned like in my flat and um, I took on this like since I finished the record I was like I need something to fill my time so I'm gonna like refurbish the with the windows in this flat I live in this flat with these old steel windows so I just kind of stripped them and kind of reglazed them and painted them and 
and um, I had this idea in my head that it was going to be just this incredible like improvement. It was going to be so much better, so beautiful. And while I started working on them, I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually making these worse. You know, the, the, my, my skills in this are so, are so limited that, you know, my, the, the image I had in my head was so different from the reality. Um, why am I saying this? Because I think something similar happens with music. Like, you know, there's when I started out, I had this image of like, I wanted the music to sound like this, but I was somewhere over here. And over the years, I've kind of learned to get a little closer to the, to the image that I have of it. But it's never quite there, you know. I'm never, I'm never able to kind of reproduce exactly what I hear, and I torture myself trying to get it. With the windows, I was like, oh, do you know what? It's fine. Like actually, the fact that I've tried is the thing. Like I gave it a go, and I will always be able to say that I painted these windows. I didn't get someone else to do it. Um, but with music, it's never enough. It's like, no, this is this has to be right. This has to be right. So. I think what's the difference that it never gets easier. It ne I mean, I get more kind of competent at like knowing how things work and plugins and, you know, software and hardware and stuff like that. But um, it never gets, the mental process never gets easier. I think the only thing that gets that's, that's different is like, I know the kinds of traps that my mind is going to set for myself. So like, I, it's not an unfamiliar experience. When I was starting out, I was like, why am I going in these horrible circles over and over again, making these changes that no one can hear? And even after a while, I can't hear. I'm like, hold on, which version was this? Like, is this the kick up or down? Or um, The only difference now is that I kind of, when that's happening, I can't stop going into that, but I know what, well, I know it, it's coming. And when it happens, I'm like, okay, now I'm in that that bit with the, thing but it'll pass and it does pass and then i'm kind of out the other side of it you know it's, i find it incredible um i mean I, I i've been listening to your music for years i i love your music i take as much pleasure looking at the comments below because a lot of your your music are sort of released as film kind of hybrid mm, film that's right and yeah. and you know the you are touching people in in such magical ways and it's it's uh, it's 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 a little odd to hear sort of the internal you know torturous process, then mm. knowing that your music is touching people. But I know that as a perfectionist, it's, it, it's, we'll the, keep... it's kind of for me. It's the same. It's like the opposite. I find seeing those comments, you know, seeing people say that is. But then I just realised that I guess that's the that's the tension that always exists between like someone who's kind of making stuff and then putting it out in the world and the reception that it has. You know, it's when I'm working on the music, I just don't. Um, I kind of don't even see it as existing outside of, you know, myself. Hmm. And then when it's out there, it kind of, I guess, takes on a, a sort of a whole other life. And I feel quite disengaged from it at that point, I guess. Can you talk about this relationship between film, cinema and music? Mm. Because mm. you do, you seem to release, I mean, they're beautiful short films and experimental films. And mm. it's sometimes it's not clear whether it's a film with your music as a soundtrack or your music with a with an accompanying film. What's this relationship that that you have? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I always, I guess, like growing up, soundtrack soundtrack music was always a huge influence. Which is, I guess, the same thing as saying that film was, you know, it's like film. My life was very much kind of like film was what I was into, and music 
and its role in film had a had a huge part in that. So I guess I was always in, influenced by the idea of music having a visual accompaniment or film having a, a musical accompaniment. When I started making music of my own, um, like again, this was like in the mid two thousands, I, I was intrigued by the idea of making a kind of a video to accompany it. And the first video that I made was the video for Save Yourself, which was just kind of clips of um, Iranian history, 20th century Iranian history kind of spliced together. And I did subsequently kind of like other videos that were similar where it was just kind of historical footage cut together. And there are like obviously reasons why that's relatively easy to do. And also kind of why it's never going to be less than kind of incredible because this is like actual historical footage. It's a bit of a, a cop-out, but it was a, a very easy way of making something that was always going to be interesting to watch, kind of compelling to watch, was always going to make the music sound, you know, better. Um, and after that, I guess, I, yeah, I, 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 was, I was lucky enough to know directors or kind of get, have contact with people who wanted to, like, make films to go with the music that I made. And that's kind of just continued, like, to this day. And with, with the stuff on this record, there are people that would just have got in touch and said, like, I'm... I'm a, I, you know, I'd, I, I listened to your music and I, and I was wondering if you'd be interested in um, me putting together a video for it. Uh, that's happened various times and the results have often been like absolutely astonishing. The video for We Can Be Ghosts Now, which won like a, a major award for best animation at this UK Music Video Awards thing. You know, the, the director for that, Tom, just got in touch with me and said, I'm a, you know, I'm an animator and I'm making stop-motion animation be interested to know if you wanted to me to make a video and this you know what came out of that was it's just one of the greatest videos i've ever seen in in any kind of like music music video so i don't have like a vision overall for the way that the visual kind of accompaniment to the music should work i'm always open to those ideas and uh, yeah i think i think it's just luck in that in that sense I, i've just been been lucky really with with film and filmmakers because i've got to work with some really amazing people yeah i think i mean if you, if there's one word to describe you as a person though we've never met you're absolutely humble your music is amazing the films that oh, you pro right. produce <laughs> are, are um uh, you know the, the films do exactly the same thing they sort of transport you to a to to another place what about collaboration i mean you know the realm of the electronic musician is generally locked away by himself or herself in a yeah. in a dark room yeah that's a really good question funnily enough recently i've been chatting to some musicians who um got in touch for i guess like i i i i, I basically just offered to um, speak to some people who might want advice and and um a lot of the people that got in touch were kind of like the my my, my I, what i thought would happen was they would send me music that this was like a kind of call to people who were just trying to get their find their sound or find their feet in what I assumed would be electronic music and I figured I'd be getting sent like tracks to listen to and you know fit requests for feedback you know what what do you think about this is this too loud is this too quiet is this well produced or not so well produced but actually quite a few of them were just saying I'm just kind of like hit a wall like you know I'm I'm just struggling to kind of find the sort of inspiration or you know the creativity is just gone you know um i think a lot of it was kind of related to pan the pandemic situation i think a lot of them were um just kind of feeling a bit flat and like they said like you know i'm just not kind of it's just not there at the moment and so so i found myself kind of trying to 
offer advice in that respect, which wasn't what I was thinking it would be. But one of the things that I said was like quite a lot was collaboration is always a, a, a great source of inspiration, you know, for me, as I think for everyone, this record's probably the, the like, you know, it's certainly like a very good example of it, just working with Faroz and Mal, channeling their incredible energies to create a record that was completely unlike what I expected it to be. Um, but in the past, you know, for me again, like I, I, I am a very kind of like solo worker. So I very much kind of like lock myself away and just do, do my thing in like a, a studio, um, not too far from here. Um, but a lot like regularly I will meet with people. Uh, one friend of mine in particular, who's like a singer and a guitarist and, and a songwriter. And we'll just get together and just like, basically rent a, a studio near where he lives and spend the day just kind of playing, you know, not with any aim or ambition, not to kind of, you know, to not to kind of come up with something that's going to then get turned into something else, but just like to play, you know, we've been doing that since we were kids pretty much. And um, it's very easy to forget the joy in just, you know, performing is the wrong word, but just, just playing, you know, just kind of sitting there and improvising. We're both so comfortable with each other that we'll just kind of like, We'll, we'll be playing for like 20 minutes without saying anything, you know, we'll drift into one idea and then that will kind of turn into something else. And then maybe that won't work. So we'll just kind of move into something else. But like, you know, sometimes like an hour will go by and we just won't have said anything. We've just been sat there. We record it all on like a little um, recorder. And then, you know, ideas from that I, for both of us turn into a whole other things for sure. But I think the act of just getting, just sitting down and making music for fun is so quickly lost you know you're so easy to forget that so easy to forget that it's a really interesting thing for me the the idea that like technology now has made it so much easier for for, for almost anybody to, to create anything and and so yeah. what that can can lead to is pretty much like everyone using presets and and just pumping out music that sounds like everybody else Mm. creativity this word how how do you remain creative authentic and to create um to create what's what's true for you i think that actually and again this is something that came up in a conversation with a, with with someone that i just through this same thing was chatting to online um i think it's really important to separate the creative part from the the sort of refinement of the work like a producer got in touch with me and was talking about how how kind of uh, I, I mean he didn't use the words bogged down but I got the sense that he was like you know I start something and then I get bogged down in like EQing it and it's like you know every time I, I'm I'm writing a tune I'm also simultaneously trying to kind of tweak it and turn it into and and, and I and I did suggest that for me it's really important to separate the 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 writing or the creating, whatever you want to call it, um, as a kind of sacred sort of space in which you you do this. This is this thing which is which is separate entirely from the process of EQing and you know compressing and kind of fine tuning. That's that's work. You know that can be fun too, but generally that's like that's hours of you know that's kind of like science it's like you know how does an eq work how does a compressor work what are you actually doing here why are you making the vocal sound like this 
But the minute that you start doing that, I think you disconnect with the the creative part of it. Mm. It's like sort of you know, it's like being constantly bombarded with like text messages during a during a conversation in a restaurant. Mm. You know, it's like you need to be you need to be kind of in constant like contact with this thing. Um, it's so easily lost, you know. And also, I think you need to be open to it. You need to be aware that like you might go down sort of ten seemingly meaningless avenues before you suddenly stumble onto the the one that sort of takes you to the ocean or whatever it is that you're looking for um so kind of a willingness to make what seem to be mistakes you know is i think also really important mm. yeah i totally i think that's not just for music that's in any sort of artistic uh mm. I, I in my own filmmaking 90 percent of what people would say were the best decisions I made were accidents <laughs> but you have to be open to embrace those accidents absolutely yeah I know you're a big fan of David Lynch the filmmaker <laughs> yeah. um yeah. but I'm going to ask you about creativity and ideas um mm. based on something that he says a lot so he is mm. a practitioner and ambassador for one of a better word of transcendental meditation and he talks often about creating a creative space in which you allow ideas to sort of magically appear. Mm. And in his words, you need to be prepared almost like fishing. When you see the idea, you, you, you sort of, you put out the line and you, you, you know, you, you catch that idea and you treat that idea like magic and, and you nurture it. And, and from That's there, right. yeah. how do you, or do you create sort of that space? Do you practice meditation? Do you have a sort of a maybe spiritual is the right word or not the right word, but is there some way that you actually get yourself into the space to be more receptive to creativity? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do try and meditate. Um, I go through sort of periods of not doing it. Uh, and I, and I kind of notice when I'm not doing it, it's, kind of clear to me that I'm in, in not in quite as quite as good a state um I think the thing with David Lynch is he's I think he's an actual genius so like, I think he's kind of like you know in the same way that like you know Van Gogh or you know William Blake you know he's a visionary <laughs> so I really like I like his um uh, you know I, I like hearing him talk about how like you know I'll just be meditating and then suddenly the entire sort of screenplay for like wild at heart will just be like there. I I don't think ordinary people kind of have that experience. I think his relationship with creativity is very unique, um, which is great. I mean, it's just everything about him is really unique. Um, But, uh, but what I do find is that I think the thing, the thing that I find is that like those moments of, of um, connection with, with kind of creativity and ideas as he calls them, which I think is a lot more applicable in kind of film and maybe writing. I think music is less ideas based. Um, but that, that kind of what I think of as kind of creativity when I'm, when I'm, when I'm trying to write music can happen when I'm in a really like not good state of mind. You know, I've, there, there are times in my life when I've been really miserable and I've found the, the music just kind of uh, is a, is a perfect sort of, you know, it's like I'll just sit at the piano and just kind of make music. I, 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 I don't know if it necessarily makes me feel better to do it, but like certainly the music that I'm writing feels incredibly 
right, you know, feels incredibly kind of true. Um, and, you know, again, this is something that Lynch says is that like those, um, those kinds of feelings like, you know, depression and anger and kind of uh, nostalgia, they're, they're, they're great subjects for art, but they're kind of toxic for artists. So I think although you can make music or film or write when you're depressed, I think that eventually you kind of hit a wall. Uh, you know, it's like drug use. You know, it has it can be incredibly kind of creative. And then eventually you'll start to find that you're not really going anywhere. It's not kind of taking you anywhere. I think the thing about meditating is that like doing it regularly acts for me as like a sort of shield. You know, it's like you, you, you sort of like you, you just kind of it's like going to a, a festival you kind of come back and you're like you carry a bit of it with you you know for days afterwards you feel like wow I'm, it's almost like i'm still there it's like the way that i'm talking to people the way that i'm seeing things um and and i think that that is what that allows you to do when you when you have that on board when that's part of your you and the way that you like exist i think it just makes you okay with things working or not working in a way, you know, alternatively, if you're in a bad state of mind and you sit at the piano and it just, nothing happens, you feel really terrible. Whereas if you, I don't know, like if, if I've been meditating and you know, I'm looking after myself, I sit at the piano and nothing happens. I'm like, Oh, I'll go and do something else. I'll go for a walk or go to a bookshop or whatever. Um, so I don't necessarily think that it, it, it guarantees creativity. I think it just, allows you to be creative or not be creative and just be okay with that maybe mm. maybe that's maybe that's what happens with me anyway yeah it sounds like the more gentle you are with yourself the the more creative perhaps i mean that's that's i think that's kind of important and i think that like um you know i was chatting to a close friend of mine last night who's also in a kind of diy nightmare and he's just saying, oh, I had to give myself a day off. Like, it's just, there's so much to do. There's so much to do, but I just couldn't face it this morning. I just had to go to the park. And I just said, like, if we're going to do this kind of stuff, we have to be kind to ourselves. I think it's true with everything. I mean, we, we're, 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 we're much more, I certainly know myself and other people who do this kind of stuff. The way we treat ourselves, you would never dream of talking to a friend like that. You know, you, you would never dream of expecting of someone else what you expect of yourself. I think that's kind of something that it's, you, you just have to at least acknowledge that. Like, it's good to know that. That's a dilemma of the perfectionist, of which I absolutely am. You have mm. expectations on yourself that you would never dream absolutely. to put on, yeah. Yeah. on anybody else. So we're living in 2020. Mm. In my lifetime, I've never lived through a period that seems so divided, so mm. politically divided, so, you know, the, the almost inability to have conversations with people that don't agree entirely with yeah. what you think. What's the role of the artist in, in 2020 and, and beyond? The, the reason I started this podcast and, and, and the name Eliminal Space, Eliminal Space is referring to this sort of stage of transition, of change. Um, what role does art play in perhaps bringing people together rather than continuing this divide that's a really uh, good question and um uh, i think that it's it's you know it's funny because again i think something that came across from people that got in touch recently when i put out kind of a message and said 
anyone who's struggling as a musician wants to get in touch, wants to kind of talk about their work or get some feedback on their work to get in touch. A, a thing that kind of came up again and again was this sense of people kind of panicking that like, oh, I just don't know, you know, with everything that's going on, I'm just not sure that like, that I, I, can, I can really justify like trying to make music or like make music, you know, make a living from music or make a, make a career for music. And of course, making a career for music is very, very kind of unpredictable and very, very difficult. Um, at, but at the same time, you know, I feel like now more than ever, the role of art is clear. Like the, the systems that we have in place to kind of make sense of the world don't work. You know, like the, the way that we try and, the, the way that we try and structure a society or, you know, our, our interactions with others, ultimately, I think are obviously, you know, we have to, we have to go along with them because it's what we have. You can't just kind of shut it all out and go, I'm not having anything to do with this. But I think what we're witnessing is that we're kind of trapped. We've created this like prison for ourselves. Art is, is in a way, it's a kind of throwing up of your arms and going, do you know what? Like none of that really makes sense. You know, the world is, you know, when we stick to the sort of template that we've created for how to kind of like deal with the world, we seem to destroy each other and ourselves and the world. You know, we're seeing it all around us. We're constantly in conflict, you know, with ourselves and each other. And art, I think, is the exception to that. It's like a sort of submission to something that, like, is a whole other system of, of, of being. You know, it's like, I'm not going to try and make sense of it. I'm just going to try and convey what it's like, you know, and, and I think that's more important now than ever. And it's more important that people do it, you know, not just for others, like to go, here's my, you know, my take on it, but for themselves. Because, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's the only thing that really makes sense is to just accept that nothing makes sense and to try and, uh, to try and sort of be with that, I think. Um, Hmm. Does, that, does that make any sense? Yeah, well, you <laughs> no, I mean, absolutely. It, it's, it's, I don't know, you know, I, I think about these things often. I think mm. about through my own filmmaking, through music, you know, we, we see people doing other professions. We see people at the front line, you know, in hospitals and things like this. And, and mm. at times, you know, sometimes art can be seen as just not contributing in a way yeah absolutely Um, but i think that that can be the case but i think it can contribute in high ways very deep ways that can bring people together that that as you say words cannot language cannot even logic cannot in some way absolutely Um, yeah i mean my my own experience i discovered electronic music two years ago I'm 43 years old. I right. I experienced being on a dance floor for eight or ten hours mm. with people that I'd never met before, and the absolute I can't even articulate that that mm. that that unity, that bond, that love mm. that just makes everything else just stupid. Like fight, it makes yeah. it makes fighting stupid it makes it yeah. makes nationalism stupid it, it just sort of 
um, it's 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 a crazy it's a crazy thing and and music and bringing people together is enormously powerful. Mm. Um, yeah, I agree, and 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 I and I and I hope I hope that it will kind of continue to be that. I mean, I think we're you know the, these are obviously huge questions, but I think we're it, it's maybe naive to think that we have some kind of like blueprint sort of some template that like somewhere in the future we're going to reach like a state of like enlightenment or perfection that we're not moving towards this thing we're 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 creatures that have evolved over you know millennia we are still subject to like really base kind of instincts you know when you see what we're doing to each other in the world it's really not a million miles away. it's really easy to kind of root that in the sort of tribal aggressions of our our ancestry you know fighting for kind of dominance for like primacy and power that's all we've ever done is like you know try to stay alive try to procreate try to kind of like you know and and we're still doing that we're still doing that on a kind of like global scale we're just doing it with better kind of pr and technology um i think music allows us to step outside of that you know and it hopefully allows other people to step outside of that become less kind of controlled by their um you know the the kinds of the kinds of feelings that they have just like in them you know i know what this is like you know i know i know what it feels like to kind of be sort of at the mercy of of, of thoughts and feelings that i kind of don't really understand where where they come from or what use they have and music sometimes you know allows you to experience the world in another way yeah and yeah it's it is a it's a kind of powerful tool for that certainly what about the role of the artist? I was on your Facebook page in the last couple of days in researching and, and, and I saw that you had um, posted something vaguely political, mm. but it wasn't musical. And there mm. was more than one comment about, hey, I like you for your music, keep posting right, your music. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, this for me is, is a, the really interesting question. You know, what is the role of the artist yeah. in 2020 and beyond? Is it to be separated from politics and ideas and, and, and thought? Or, I mean, I don't think it is at all. Or, but, mm. or is it to really use that platform to engage with issues and what you believe in, but at the fear or of losing fans in a sense that just mm. want your music that is a that's i think such a conundrum and i think that like there are going to be i think people are going to find their own answers to that i think it really depends on you know who you are as a as a kind of an artist for me personally like you, there's nothing you know i obviously the experience i would love the experience at the center of the music that i make to be independent of of politics generally and for people to be able to put music on and just to you know like have a have a kind of a, a moment with it that's that's kind of sort of transcendent of, of all the stuff that's going on in the world but it's born stuff. i mean none of us live independently of that in our day-to-day -day lives um i can't make a record about iran that isn't going to make people go oh iran you know how do you feel about the ayatollahs and it was like it's that stuff is always going to be sort of present it's inescapable um the 
the role as 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 far as the role of the artist goes the problem i think the problem with the, the world is that we are in this kind of like echo chamber you know there is this as you say like cultural this kind of like war going on where people are just fighting all the time and the the problem with that is that people kind of preempt their positions and they pick their sides and then what they hear is either going to confirm or deny what they believe and it's either going to fall in their camp or like the other camp and i i certainly don't want to be someone who's kind of trying to like dictate how people should think about things that go on in the world i have my own like moral compass you know and and i try and live by it but i also accept that it's not right i don't believe in an objective like you know this isn't like absolutely it's it's how i can make sense of the world in a way that i can sort of live with like i i totally understand that in the future my values may be completely redundant due to any number of things that might happen to this world and the people that live on it. But at the moment, you know, I, I feel, uh, I feel like there is a certain way that I have to live. And I think there are a lot of people that kind of feel the same way. So I don't want to ever like kind of preach those values. At least I'm going to try not to, but sometimes the world is so, so upsetting and so frustrating that you kind of can't hold your tongue. You just find it possible. And I think everyone should be allowed to do that, whether they're artists or teachers or, you know, uh, that's, I think people should be within their rights to speak, you know. And is that the reason that you separated, like your writing is done under your name and your music is done under hiatus? Is that the reason to separate? No, not really. Um, not not kind of consciously. I, I guess I just, to be honest, I I I didn't really kind of have a, a theory as to why I wanted to kind of make music under a certain name. But funnily enough, I've been going through old books. I've got a whole pile of. Um, I, I, I kept diaries for years and years. Start. I didn't start until like two thousand and one. I picked up a diary from two thousand and one, which was the first diary, and I and I saw that I'd mentioned making music as hiatus which really surprised me because I didn't start making music until like, two, I mean, electronic music until 2002 or three. So it was really odd that I was like kind of saying, oh, you know, here's what I would like to be doing you know, like a year from now. And part of it's making music as hiatus. So there was this idea of like a, 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 a I don't know, a pseudonym, but I don't see that necessarily as like having to kind of be a persona. I mean, I, I'm happy to, to be as kind of much a part of like my my work as needs to be. I yeah. mean, I like the sort of anonymity of it. I like the I like the fact that it's not, you know, my name out there in that in that sense. Yeah. Um, and how does that work with um, or what's your relationship to to ego and fame? Let's say. Mm. I mean, you are famous. You are very well known. How does that play in your daily life and have you ever had to struggle with that ego aspect oh yeah of course i mean i but not i don't i mean i think when it comes to fame i mean that is I, i'm definitely in the camp that always and i think this is actually really common but i find that idea that that i would ever be kind of well known or certainly famous comical 
you know, I find that like hilarious. Um, it's because, you know, I, and, and, and I guess that's kind of like partly the imposter syndrome thing, you know, it's like kind of always feeling like it just, it, it feels so, it, don't, it just feels so odd to imagine that in terms of like dealing with the stuff being out there. Um, I think it's really important not to expect well, there's a saying that I think is like, don't expect applause. I think it's like a kind of a, some sort of um, some Buddhist thing. And I think it's a really good way to live. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I think by all means, like put everything you have into it, every kind of, you know, every part of yourself and, you know, absolutely let it consume your life, make it as good as you can, as kind of relevant and powerful as you can, but don't expect applause at the end of it. Um, I, I find that the problem with social media in these respects, I mean, one of many problems with social media is it really, it makes it very hard to kind of, it, it, it changes your relationship with the work that you do. I think it's very, it's something that I think artists are kind of trying to get used to the idea that you put something out and then immediately have this in, incredible sort of torrent of feedback within seconds, you know, and there were years when you'd put music out and there would be like a sort of a, a, a delay of weeks or months or and 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 reviews would come in and now it's just like that's out and immediately you're bombarded with what people think about it and that's it's addictive to 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 i think anyone is fascinated by the reception to their work and it's toxic because it completely warps how you feel about it and and i think that um so in terms of in terms of kind of fame, which is as I say, is a word that I'm really uncomfortable with. I try and do everything that I do completely independently of of, of that idea. But as far as ego goes, I think independently of of art, like the ego is obviously a kind of a daily. It's a it's a part of everyone's reality. I mean, we are all uh, you know we're all worshiping at the altar of ourself. And I think it's the root cause of pretty much all of the sadness in the world. Mm. This notion that we are kind of these little enclosed kind of beings, these kind of contained um, sort of conundrums. Uh, you know, we buy into these kind of stories about ourselves and, 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 and it kind of helps us navigate the world that we live in, but it also just completely separates us from the experience of just being alive. Mm. You know, like existence is not, you know, existence is not like a narrative arc with a sort of a beginning and a middle and an end. And the end is never, as far as I can tell, kind of a happy end in the sense that stories, you know, mythology has kind of convinced us to believe that it would be. Like if we had a more you know i mean this you were asking about philosophy earlier on i mean the philosophy that i try and live by is, is pretty much that that you know like reality is kind of a chaos um i mean it's it's in perfect harmony like nothing is wasted everything is balanced but our sense of it filtered through language and kind of notions of you know past and present and self and other and good and evil all of that is a sort of of a distorting lens, you know, that we very quickly learn to view everything through. And we sort of lose our connection with, I think, everything. You know, we just become lost in the story of our life and have absolutely zero empathy mm. or very little empathy with the kind of common 
experience of of being in this world. Mm. And what about just continuing on with that social media technology sort of theme? Um, I think we're probably remotely around the same age, which would mean that mm. we were brought up pre-Facebook and pre-smart anything. Yeah, absolutely. What's your relationship to technology, uh, both as a maker and then as a, let's, you know, for promotion and, and sort of as, mm. as an artist? Certainly as, as a music maker, I mean, I couldn't do what I do without the technology that I use. And, and you know, I've... Um, I've, I, I know that I know that musicians in the past doing the kind of the, the equivalent of what I would do would have incredible uh, trouble putting together the music that they make. And composers obviously would write scores that they would not hear until they assembled the musicians to play it other than in their heads. And then they would get the whole orchestra together and listen to it and go, oh, no, that doesn't work at all. You know, it's like I can put ideas together on a computer and listen to them as I'm doing it. That's obviously a huge blessing. And I would probably, well, who knows what I would be doing if it wasn't for that. But, but that I'm very grateful for. Um, in terms of, in terms of the sort of media, I'm not like a, I mean, I've, I'm not a technology person generally. Um, and I'm really, I mean, I'm, I, I try not to be grumpy, but I kind of, I find traveling around London, you know, and seeing everyone just kind of staring at their phones and listening to music on their phones, you know, public transport, you know, like listening to making people endure the sort of tinny kind of speaker renditions of whatever music they like or having conversations with them. I mean, I, I do find, I find it kind of just, it just seems like another level of kind of distraction, you know, another level of, I mean, the album Distancer, the title Distancer is kind of like a nod in, uh, to, to the sort of like distancing effects of the, the things that we kind of take on in our lives. You know, how we get further and further away from what I would consider to be a kind of, uh, uh, you know, I mean, personal opinion, but like a, a kind of a truthful or like at least kind of pure experience of being alive. And... Um, yeah, at the same time, I'm totally addicted to it as well. You know, I don't have any apps on my phone. I'm, you know, my phone is like kind of laughed at by people that are into phones. But um, of course, I too feel that kind of constant nagging need to know if someone's messaged me or like, you know, responded to an email or what's happened on Twitter. I think that's, I think anyone who has, twitter or uses twitter um and and doesn't have that constant nagging need just probably isn't using it like to the extent that certainly the people that made it want you to use it i mean the logical conclusion of those uh platforms and those kind of media experiences is a kind of total immersion in them i did an interview with someone years ago a guy called ray kurzweil who's a um a sort of futurist and, and inventor and technological wizard. And uh, he wrote a book about virtual reality, about a thing called the singularity, which is like the kind of merging of um, humanity and technology, which he predicted or predicts will happen in a kind of fairly recent, a fairly kind of sort of near future. And um, at the time I was like, you know, living in a virtual reality, oh, I just don't see it happening. And then kind of after a while I was like, well, we're sort of doing it. I mean, you know, people 
seem to spend more time in the worlds in the device in their pocket than they do in the world at least as far as they're conscious you know their energies are directed to this to this version of themselves that interacts with other people on an app on their phone or on their computer than the world that surrounds them i mean we're kind of doing it now i suppose i was going to say you know, exactly like, the same yeah, thing. yeah we're doing it and again this is an example of the, the positive power of it for you know as far, as far as i'm concerned this is like a an example of the good i think the problem is that it becomes an escape from when the world out there seems intolerable mm. you know it's like when that world is and this is a kind of a premise of a lot of dystopian science fiction is that like you know the world becomes unbearable so people retreat to a kind of you know it's like ready player one type thing it's like you know you kind of spend all your time in a sort of virtual alternative to what's out there you know matrix like but do you feel as an artist you actually have a choice when you release uh, my understanding is you release your music independently doesn't mm, that that's right yeah do you, you now not have the choice to not be on social media because that's your avenue yeah. to or uh, is that Absolutely. right yeah yeah that's pretty true i mean i um i mean i i yeah i don't see that i could really disengage from it in terms of kind of certainly at this point um and i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily want to i mean i'm really grateful for the you know the, the obviously the the the, the feedback that I get and the kind of communication that I have with people that listen to what I do. And it is incredible, you know, it is mostly really positive and, and, um, and, uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't give that up for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely kind of stuck with doing it for a while longer, but I'm, but I'm glad to, I'm glad to, I'm glad to have that. Yeah. That's oh, so interesting. Thanks so much for taking the time. I mean, me personally, I could ask you, so many more questions and and uh oh it's been a great joy mate it's could, been a real pleasure could go forever I, I just wouldn't mind just finishing on um well two things if you don't mind the, the first yeah, is sure. just where you are right now you've you've finished an album what's that like after however many weeks months possibly years of work and you're getting ready to share that with audiences what's that sort of feeling like um I- I think it, I actually think it varies record to record. I mean, I think that ultimately um, the immediate aftermath of finishing a project like this, and I'm sure it's true with all art, is one of kind of despair. Like, you know, it's like you, 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 your life is absolutely kind of dominated by this thing, um, you know, and then it's gone and you find yourself in a kind of free fall. And it's not like the thing is out there and people are really enjoying it. It's like you're just you're just kind of pretending it doesn't exist. It's just like there on your hard drive or whatever. I mean, I I, I know other artists. In fact, most of the people I know who who, who do, do music certainly find the immediate aftermath of finishing a record really like depressing. Um, certainly that's been my experience of it the immediate aftermath is really really hard and i tend to kind of find something to do i mean hence this like really ill-advised diy thing um i have to find something to do to kind of fill the time because otherwise i just ruminate on it and kind of find myself regretting things that i did or didn't do um this record as a whole generally better i'm excited about this record and i think again a big part of that is probably the collaborative aspect of it it doesn't feel like just me in a room you know i'm excited about people hearing pharaohs and now um yeah 
no, I'm looking forward to people hearing it. And when do you know when a track or when an album is done? Oh, that never, no, it's never done. It's never finished. I mean, it's, uh, there's a, the, the, a teacher that I had as a kid, um, English teacher said a poem is never finished. It is only abandoned. And I remember as a kid kind of not really getting it, but it was just one of those things that stayed with me. You know, it's like when you're that age, it's, you're just like a sponge. And, and I, I genuinely didn't really know what he meant. And then later when I started doing music, I was like, I know I get it now. Like you don't ever, and then I realized that actually that had been true with everything that I'd done. You know, I kind of just worried it. I mean, I know people that are really good at just kind of making something and just going, that's done. That's finished. And that's, I'm leaving it there. But for me, I continue to kind of chip away at it until I collapse. And it's always been the way. Uh, Every record I've ever made has kind of driven me to, you know, almost kind of like physical illness um you know this this one i booked a week in a in a good studio to mix it and i was like i'm just gonna not to mix it sorry to master it you know i spent six months kind of mixing it and then it was like gonna go into the studio and then just kind of send the final mixes and get the masters back make little tweaks and stuff that turned into like three weeks and then after three weeks i was just like if i don't stop now i'm going to go you know bad things are going to get bad things are going to go wrong so I don't think, yeah, everyone's going to be different. But for me, it's just when, when the, the alternative, I think sometimes you're just presented with like two scenarios and you just have to pick one, you know, and sometimes you just think, well, that one is not an option. So I'm going to have to do that. And that's always the point when I stop, I'm like, I can't, I can't be that person tomorrow. So that's the end of it. It's finished. And that brings me to to another question about choice. Do you find that that limiting choices or putting barriers around things actually increases creativity or does it make it more difficult? I think, I think, I think you need, I think you need those kind of barriers. I think you need, I mean, the thing, the thing with the music that I do is that there is a kind of tendency for me to fit it around these kind of like skeletal frames that are, that correspond to certain like I don't know BPMs or kind of you know it's like a certain kind of pattern of musical rise and fall um those kind of templates I think are enjoyable you know it's fun it's like writing to a poetic form um but I also like the idea of things being at the same time completely open so you know, I've been really recently really interested. In fact, this record, um, I uh, started using this field recorder to go out and kind of record sounds from mostly London. Just going out in London and recording train stations and foyers of public buildings and swimming pools and and then kind of using those sounds in the music that I was making. And it in just kind of like those sorts of um those kinds of choices those those, that i think that sort of thing can open the everything up in ways that that no yeah yeah no kind of like frame can can do i think you need you need to have like a framework within to work but you also kind of want to be completely open to to experience and and allow the world in at the same time Thank you. You have allowed the world in to, to, to yourself and your creative process. And 
what can I say? You're, we've never met, but our contact and this chat, it's a absolute reflection on the authenticity of your music and the, how can I, you, you are the anti-rock star in a sense. Oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah. You know, like to be able to have this chat to, I know we all deal with egos and all, you know, deal with these sorts of things, but to be so open and so honest and to re- reply to me in the way that you did is nothing but um, a very beautiful thing. And thank you for everyone that's going to hear and, and uh, watch this. And um, It's been a great pleasure, mate. I would also like to say also, um, you know, it's been a great pleasure listening to your music. And, you know, I meant what I said about it. And I hope that everyone who watches this knows that you are yourself a musician because your stuff is really good so i hope that you're getting as many as many people listen to it as you deserve to as well that's amazing thank you i don't consider myself a musician yet but we're well on the well on the way um and yeah i really hope also that that people that don't yet know your music that watch and listen this can discover that as well so i'll put all sorts of links to your music and and your blog and your writing as well and um very great. Yeah, thanks, thanks again. And hope to, to, to meet you one day in uh, in person. I hope so too. Cool. Thank you. All right, serious. All right, too. Ciao. Many thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. And go to aliminalspace.earth to access all episodes available as both video and audio podcasts. But for now, many thanks again, and see you next time in a liminal space.